the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferenc Toth. In an era of chaos, confusion, and craziness, Ferenc is a voice for common sense. As a financial literacy educator, speaker, and entrepreneur, Ferenc cuts through the noise to help us understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Now, here's Ferenc Toth. Welcome to the Your Personal Bank Show. The Federal Reserve has done it again. Recently, they raised interest rates another quarter point. So now the federal funds rate is 5.25%. Now that may not sound like a, a, a really high number, but when you consider just over a year ago, the Federal Reserve was only 0.25%. And that is an increase in just over a year of over 20 times, 20 fold from 0.25% to 5.25%. Now, why is this so important? I was sharing this with a, uh, a client actually just a few days ago. And I said, if you want to understand interest rates and the markets and, and how it affects the economy and all those types of things, there's two rates that are of primary importance. And the first one is the federal funds rate. And that one's important because that's the rate the Federal Reserve sets. And that's the one you hear about in the news when they raise or lower rates. And either directly or indirectly, pretty much all other um, interest rates are are influenced or affected by the federal funds rate. Now, first of all, what is a federal funds rate? Well, that's the rate that banks charge each other to borrow overnight or the overnight discount rate or the Fed funds rate. It's different terms you hear for the same thing. You see, banks have to balance their books each day. They have to have so much X amount of reserves based on loans, that type of thing. And uh, a lot of people are sort of, rarely very aware of it. I learned much about this with my time uh, acting as a chairman of the board of a bank, and we were in the process of starting a bank and in an FDIC-insured bank, so I got a chance to (laughs) firsthand learn a lot about this. And, of course, a lot of my clients and people I talk to know I have have had some banking experience, and with the recent bank failures, uh, there's been, you know, the They've reached out to me with a lot of questions because they know I have some experience in that area. So I'm going to share some of that today. So I'm going to really encourage you not to miss this show because even today, even uh, the most recent um, federal funds meeting, it was interesting when the uh, Chairman Powell, uh, after the Federal Reserve uh, announced they were raising rates a quarter point, literally the first, I don't know, half a dozen questions or more that were asked of him we're about the recent bank failures and are, is our banking system safe and what to expect and all that, that going forward. These are very, very important, very important things to be aware of. We're gonna, I'm going to discuss these things directly today and, and give it to you straight. Now, first of all, the Federal Reserve, like I said, and Chairman Powell came out recently and just said that the banking system is secure and, and, and all that. And... The thing is, they pretty much have to say that. I mean, think about it a minute. If the Federal Reserve came out and said, hey, well, there's a problem in the banking system, there would be a run on banks uh, like we've never seen, and uh, it'd, be, it'd be over. So they have to support the banking system because if you understand fractional reserve lending, which is the fancy term for banks, don't when you bank deposit money in the bank, all the money isn't there. In fact, the majority of it is then loaned out you know, and different types of loans, car loans, home loans, and et cetera, um, to earn interest. That's how the banks make their money. And that's why, for example, the average bank in America has approximately 8% of the deposits on hand. Um, in fact, a bank traditionally through FDIC, when they get below 6% in cash reserves, that's when they get into, they go onto the FDIC watch list. And if they get below that, they, then the FDIC often steps in and takes over, okay? And they close the bank and have another bank take over. 
these are things that are important to understand these days. Is your money safe in the bank? Well, first of all, I want to say if you've got less than $250,000 in a bank and it's FDIC insured, uh, you're going to be you're in good shape. Uh, the FDIC will make all the depositors whole, even if your bank failed. Okay, so for most people, there's not any real risk of losing their money deposited in a bank. Okay, now the key problem is for those with larger than two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and you know it's wealthy individuals and businesses, of course. Businesses probably have the biggest challenge here because the reality is if you have a significant business that goes through over a quarter of a million dollars of expenses, let's say you have over that in payroll, for example, and they have to make payroll, how do they they have to have the money set aside in the in a bank account to make that payroll, for example. And if if they're over those limits, of course, then that money is not safe or insured. For a business of that size to be dealing with a smaller regional bank these days with this economy probably is not a good financial decision. And, of course, many of these wealthier individuals and businesses are moving their monies out of the smaller smaller regional banks and putting them into the larger, the big banks like the J.P. Morgans and Wells Fargo's of the world. And that's probably a smart move for them because... Although their money is not insured over the $250,000 limit, there's the, there's the, well, pretty well understood too big to fail banks. And that's probably the top three or four banks in the country. And if you're a large business or have large holdings in banks, you know, you probably need, should be dealing with one of those larger banks. Uh, I'm, you know, it's just the reality of the, of the matter. And, and those larger banks are geared for those types of business, you know, larger size sums. You know what I mean? The fact that people are moving their money out of the smaller regional banks is sad in a way because, again, if it's FDIC insured, they're good to go for up to $250,000. And it's the smaller regional banks that are really the lifeblood of our economy and the freedoms that we offer. Because I'm going to talk more about ESG and that's those types of things in this in this today's show. But many of the those smaller regional banks, you know, they don't, they don't, they're, they're your neighbors. You know what I mean? They're local business people who may probably more likely agree with you than disagree, if you know what I'm saying. And they're not caught up in the politics of Washington oftentimes. Some are, you know, uh, you know, we've had a couple of them fail, you know, <laughs> what is it? Uh, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, for example, was very, a very political bank. Um, Consider it was called, they were proudly called themselves the most woke bank in America. And, of course, they were the first to fail, interestingly. But anyway, that's a whole different discussion. My point is, is your money safe in the bank? If it's FDIC insured and you have less than $250,000, you really don't have anything to worry about. And if you support, and you should, it really, we need to support, especially in these times, need to support our local banks. And again, your money is not at risk. So uh, I would really encourage people to continue to do that. It's the bigger the bigger uh, accounts or the bigger businesses that need to move their monies out and go to the bigger banks so they can make sure that their money is safe. Should there be concerns about other bank failures and things like that? And the answer is, well, absolutely. Um, the problem is being caused by the Federal Reserve and the rapid increase in interest rates that they have uh, put on the, uh, you know, over in the last year, a little over a year, like I was starting to say, the federal funds rate has gone from 0.25% just over a year ago to 5.25%. And that's the rate that banks charge each other to borrow money overnight so they can balance their books. Now, that's a 20-fold increase, a 20-time increase. That is the most aggressive increase in the history of the Federal Reserve, over 100 years, it's very significant. It's, a, it's not the highest rate the Federal Reserve's ever, Fed rate's ever been. That was in the, in the 1970s. It hit 20% at one point. But it's the fastest rate of increase, certainly, in the history of the Federal Reserve. And that's what's so significant about this. Again, the, the economy has been running for the past decade or so on easy monetary policy, low interest rate environment, uh, easy money, uh, cheap money, and that, of course, fuels growth 
through businesses, real estate, and various things, increase in value of assets, things like that, because of the cheap money. Of course, that is now gone. That has changed dramatically. Now, the other rate that's so important, I started to discuss before, and I kind of got off on a tangent a bit, is the prime rate. Now, individuals, this is a rate that individuals should really pay attention to. Because, again, you and I are not going to borrow money at the federal funds rate. We're not a bank, okay? We're individuals or small businesses, that typically, right? So the prime rate is set by the Wall Street Journal, and it takes the average of the top 30 banks in America, and it takes the average loan rate for that these banks charge for their customers with good credit. And on average, the prime rate is about three points, 3% higher than the Fed rate is. Because 3% roughly is, is the spread, if you will, that banks the profit. And there's a bank can borrow money from the Fed at five, five and a quarter, right? And then they, can, they, charge, their lent, uh, they charge loans at eight and, a, eight and a quarter, which is the current prime rate. They make 3%. That's their spread. That's their, the bank's profit. That's what they operate on again, with their clients with good credit. Like I said, all interest rates are either directly or indirectly affected by these rates, the Fed rate. The prime rate, like I said, is approximately 3% higher, Fed plus 3. 30-year fixed mortgages, for example, follow the Fed, uh, the prime rate fairly closely. Uh, again, it's 8 and a quarter. 30-year fixed mortgages from somebody with good credit is around 7% right now. Probably is climbing. It's probably going to start climbing towards that 8% range soon. A year or so ago, again, when the when the prime rate was three and a quarter, you could get a 3% 30-year uh, fixed mortgage with good credit, okay? So, again, it's all in perspective. Now, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the next segment because one of the things your personal bank does is it allows you to borrow money today, right now as we speak, this year, at 5.7%. When you consider the prime rate is 8%, 8 and a quarter actually right now, and you can borrow at 57 that's significant, Okay. That's a significant savings. And what I'm going to share with you in the next segment, so again, I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned, is I was discussing this with a client literally today where they're getting ready to purchase a car. They were going to finance it, but instead of paying the 7 8 9% interest rate that it would they would be charged today for that auto loan, they were able to access funds from their personal bank policy and because they're earning 5 7 5 dividends right now, and they're getting charged 5.7% interest currently, their cost of their loan is basically nothing. What I'm trying to say is they saved all that interest. I'm going to share with you how to do that in the next segment, so I'm going to really encourage you to stay tuned. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ference Toth. Want more information? Contact Ference at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And one of the things I was sharing in the last segment, and I'm really going to encourage you, if you missed it, go to yourpersonalbank.com because you, you can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows anytime you want. Again, it's yourpersonalbank.com, is we can, depending on which company we're working with and, and the size of your account and such, um, we have borrowing rates that are in the 5% range. And that is significant. That's today, given, especially given that the, um, the prime rate right now is eight and a quarter. Uh, a 30-year fixed mortgage with good, good, uh, good credit is in the 7% range for most people. An auto loan is probably seven, eight, nine percent with good credit right now. Let me use a quick example. So I was discussing this with a client today. They had funded some money in their personal bank policy. Uh, in their case, they're earning the five. They're earning five point seven five dividend, insured, guaranteed, tax free right now, and that's locked in through twenty twenty three through the rest of this year. In their example, now if they just if they leave it there, of course the money's just going to grow, right? That's pretty straightforward. But they want to access some of the funds to purchase a car. Now they have a choice. They of course could go finance that car, pay seven, eight, nine percent interest on that auto loan, because that's what it's going to cost you today. 
or they could take some cash, pay for the car, or they can use the personal bank policy to pay for the car and eliminate the interest cost. Now, how does that work? Most people understand financing. Obviously, if you borrow money, you're going to to finance to purchase that vehicle. You're going to pay more than the cost of the vehicle. You're going to pay whatever the purchase price is plus whatever interest payments are, right? Uh, pretty pretty straightforward. Most people understand that. The second option, like I said, is you could if you have the funds available, you could take cash and just pay for the car. Obviously, the advantage to that is you don't have the finance cost, the extra borrowing cost of that vehicle. And with higher interest rates like they are currently, that is more appealing, obviously, than when interest rates were lower a year or so ago. Now, the disadvantage of taking cash or just paying cash for that vehicle or any item for that matter, typically you're going to take that money from an investment or some other source where it could have earned money. I mean, my gosh, today you can put money in a money money market account and uh, earn 4% on it today. But instead of doing that or you're taking that money and you're buying that car. Well, what, it, what happens to those dollars that you used to purchase the vehicle? Well, of course, obviously, you traded those dollars for the vehicle, right? And what that means is you gave up the ability of those dollars to earn interest for you this year and every year the rest of your life. They're gone. It's like once you spend those dollars to purchase the vehicle, the money's gone forever, right? You're never going to earn any interest on it. And that's one of those financial literacy keys. I was discussing some of these things uh, in last week's show, actually, that I've taught in you know college uh, college accredited course, all this kind of stuff over the years. This is one of those financial literacy keys that most average Americans miss. They don't understand the difference of what the typical person does versus somebody a wealthier, the wealthy tend to do. Okay, with money, because they're not educated. Most people just lack a lot of financial literacy, and it's just a sad fact. I wasn't taught this stuff growing up, and neither most you know most of us weren't. Right? We weren't taught this in school. Most of us were not taught any of this by our family or anything else because our family didn't have financial good financial literacy either. They might have done okay. Don't get me wrong, but there's good, better, best. You know what I mean? So the best way to go about it is using the personal bank concept to purchase the vehicle. And here's why. Because if you have the money to pay cash, why not instead invest the money in a personal bank policy to earn dividends? You can do it over time or all at once. It's up to you. It depends on your situation. And then access the funds, borrow against it using the cash as collateral. All right. And you take that money and you purchase that car. That's what this client's plan is doing. Now, why is that better? Why is it why is it superior to just, just say paying cash and buying a car? Well, the answer is really quite simple. If you put it in the policy, it's going to earn dividends. The money's going to grow. Now, when you access the funds, and this is where people get caught, this is where they if they miss it, this is where they miss it. I'm telling you right now. So I'm going to encourage you really to listen, you know, listen close for, for the next 30 seconds or so, because this is the key. This is really important. When you the, you put the money in the policy during dividends, it's growing. When you access the funds, do you access it through the bank line or through the insurance company? And the answer is typically through the bank line. You don't, in other words, the money you're not taking it out of the policy is still continuing to earn interest and dividends. You're borrowing against it. Now you have a cost of borrowing. I told you in the example of my, the client today is their borrowing cost was five point seven today. We have borrowing rates are in the 5% range, just so you know, today. Now, typically, well, let me finish this thought, and then I'll go with what's typical. This is the worst-case scenario. They're making 575. They're getting charged 57. That means they're not really, there's really no positive arbitrage, and that's because of what's going on with interest rates. I'll talk about that further in a minute. I want to finish this thought first. This is this key thought. By taking the money and accessing it, borrowing against it, using the cash and the policies as collateral and paying for the vehicle, now what happens? Well, they bought the car, right? But that money, did they give up control of the money? That's the key. And the answer is no. The, the money, those dollars are still in their control and their policy earning dividends this and every year the rest of their life. Why is that so important? Why is having control of that money so important? The reason is simple. It's because 
if you maintain control of those dollars, instead of just trading them for the asset, giving up control of them, you can still earn future dividends. Now, yes, when you're borrowing against it, you get an interest cost. Right now, in their case, the the dividend and the interest cost were basically the same. So, in other words, they weren't benefiting. They weren't they weren't getting help. They weren't being hurt. But this year, but they still have control of the dollars. Why is that so important? Well, over forty the last forty uh, forty two years, we've had a positive arbitrage situation. This is a very very rare year because of the Federal Reserve raising interest rates so quickly. Most of the time, what you earn, the dividends you earn, is more than the interest rate you get charged. And therefore, you get to keep the difference. That's known as positive cash flow or positive arbitrage. So even in this example with this client buying the vehicle, even though this year they may not receive any benefit from doing it that way, next year they probably will because all that needs to happen is dividends go up, which we fully expect that to happen due to higher interest rates, or and or borrowing rates go down, which at some point they will, and you get to keep the difference. When the dividends are, what you're earning is more than what you're getting charged, you get to keep the difference. And what if that difference is just 1%? Well, add that up, 1% a year for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. How long are you going to live? And do you understand compound interest? If you do, you start to realize that can add up to quite a bit of money. By the way, the average comp- uh, positive arbitrage scenario is more like 2 to 3% per year. Again, 2 to 3% may not sound like a lot, but compound that over a decade or two or three or more even. And you quickly realize that the amount of interest through compounding, through the positive cash flow, through the positive arbitrage, can end up being as much interest, the interest you, you get to keep, can end up being as much as the total amount you spent for the vehicle. What if, it, what if you got that back in the next decade or two? What could you do with that money? You literally could buy another vehicle from the interest you earned on the money you spent on the first vehicle. Does that make sense? Do you follow me? If you don't, I'm going to encourage you to contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. Be happy to explain it to you further or answer any questions you have. The point is, if you're going to go buy the car anyway, would you rather give up those dollars and trade those dollars for that vehicle, or would you rather put them in a bank, personal bank policy, earn dividends on it, and then borrow against it, purchase that same vehicle, and still earn in some interest on that money each and every year the rest of your life, which means, by definition, having more money. Folks, Here's the thing I want you to understand. When people understand that concept, when they grasp the idea that you can maintain control of dollars even if you use those dollars to, say, buy a car or invest in something or pay bills or do whatever it is you do with the money, supplement retirement, I don't pay for college, doesn't matter. When you get the, get the understanding, you get the idea and realize, holy cow, I can keep some in the interest. I can still earn some interest on those dollars that I spend on things. It will change your financial future. It changes dramatically. The the, the trajectory of your financial situation for the rest of your life. And not only for the rest of your life, by the way, oftentimes for the rest of your, your kids' children's life. It changes generational wealth, folks. This is how the wealthy often operate, and the average middle class, upper middle class, etc., do not. This is the difference, again, of the wealthy mindset and the uh, people with some financial literacy that understand control, control of dollars, keeping the ability to continue earning interest on those dollars even after you spend them on for other purposes, like purchasing a car, for example, or anything else for that matter, is the key. That is the key, folks, to fight changing your financial trajectory. It's the key to building wealth. It's not just about making more money, and it's not just about accumulating more on paper. It's about actually keeping control of your money even after you spend it. That is the difference. And many times I see from a financial standpoint, 
with many people I work with, the biggest difference in their financial lives. Stay tuned in the next segment. I'm going to dive into some more of this and some more of the banks, bank information and things you should be concerned about. And I'm going to share with you how to know if your bank is likely to be one of the next banks that might have trouble or fail even potentially. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for more common sense from Ferrans. For more information, contact Ferrans at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferrance Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferrance at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ferrance Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. And one of the big questions I've been getting asked a lot is, is the money in the bank, my bank safe? And I'm getting asked that a lot because of, uh, well, I'm in the financial industry. I also was a chairman of the board of a, a bank for a while, for, for a couple, several years. Um, so I've got some banking experience, and I understand how banks operate far more than most people. I mean, I was on the board of one, right? So... It's no question, there's no question that the, we're dealing with a banking crisis, okay? Um, in fact, in fact, the three banks that have already failed this year in 2023, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and now First Republic Bank, all, and the total amount of assets that those three banks held already exceeds the total amount of all the banks that failed in the, in the 2008 financial crisis crisis. In other words, from a bank failure standpoint, we are already worse, in a worse position than we were in 2008. Now, by the way, in 2008, just so you know, there was 25 banks that failed through that period of time, through the 2008 through 2010, roughly, period. The, The biggest, largest bank failure in history also did happen during that time period, Washington Mutual. Uh, that was the largest bank failure in the history of the United States, okay? The other 24 banks that failed were all smaller banks. So the the total assets that, you know, of those 25 banks was slightly less than the total assets of the three banks that have failed in 2023. And, folks, if you think that bank failures are behind us and that we're done, uh, I'm going to tell you you're pretty naive. You have to be very naive to think that the, the, the struggles with the banks are over. And the reason behind the struggles of the banks, if you don't already know, is really quite simple. You see, banks have to, uh, when you know, they invest too, right? When you put your deposits in there, of course, they loan, mon- loan money out for, you know, car loans, home loans, various types of loans, right? Business loans, whatever. They also invest in assets, okay? And one of the assets that, banks often invest in quite a bit happen to be, uh, you know, uh, bonds, okay? And bonds are highly interest rate sensitive. And unfortunately, the bonds that banks were purchasing for the past decade, roughly, were paying very low interest rates because we were in a very, very low interest rate environment, thanks to our Federal Reserve. And I stated in the first segment, in the past year, the Federal Reserve has increased interest rates at a more aggressive rate, faster, more rapid rate than at any time in their 100-year history, 100-plus years. So now the bonds that the banks are purchasing, or anybody else for that matter, are pay a higher interest rate. Okay, They're highly interest rate sensitive. The amount of interest a bond pays is affected by the current interest rate. Therefore, the bonds that the ba- banks bought over the past decade are worth less because they pay lo- lower interest rate. Lower interest, right? Pretty simple. So the value of those bonds are decreased. So the value of the of the bank's assets, the investments, are less or reduced, which causes a banking crisis. Folks, this, this crisis, sadly, has been caused by directly by the Federal Reserve, and indirectly, why is the Federal Reserve doing? What, why is the Federal Reserve? Um, Raising interest rates the way they are, well, because inflation has gone too high. 
and they're trying to get it back down to their target rate of around 2%. The last numbers have been around 5.5%, so it's still far higher than the Federal Reserve wants to see it. And why, you know, again, why are why is inflation so high? Well, the government spent too much money. It's just really plain and simple, and they've interfered with uh, energy production, which also affects inflation. The government has created this problem. <clears throat> the government uh, is now creating, you know, by trying to fix one problem, they've now caused another problem. The government is really, really good at causing problems, and whenever they try to fix one, they typically will cause another. They cause the inflation problem by spending too much money, and, inter- and interfering with energy production. The Federal Reserve now is trying to fix that problem, the inflation problem, by raising interest rates, which is now create directly creating another problem, and that is, and they're doing it rapidly, <coughs> because they did it, excuse me, so they did it so slowly, or they were late to the get- ball game. Inflation was going up far, far before the Fed's Federal Reserve started raising rates, so they were late to the ball game, slow to react, and, of course, now they're trying to play catch-up, which is so they're doing everything rapidly and aggressively and raising the rates, which is now causing a banking crisis. There are going to, I'm going to predict that there will be more bank failures going forward, and I believe it would be highly naive to think otherwise. And some of the banks that, you know, this, you know depending on when you listen to the show, this is a fast-moving, this is a fast-moving situation, but... Recently, some of the other banks that have been getting, you know, having challenges are, are PacWest, Western Alliance, okay, uh, you know, Zion, Comerica, KeyBank. Those are some of the other ones that have recently been having struggles because investors and people have come to realize that their, uh, their reserves, all that kind of stuff are not looking good. How do you know if your bank is strong or not? Well, first of all, is your money safe? Let's answer that question first. Well, if it's an FDIC-insured bank and you have less than $250,000 in it, um, you're good to go. FDIC will take care of the depositors, and you should have little little, little concern about losing money in a bank if you have less than 250000 in there. There is discussions, gray areas in terms of you had multiple accounts or, you know, like business or personal accounts at the same bank, uh, whether you would be protected by FDIC. It's kind of a gray area to be straight, be straight up with you. The smartest thing to do if you're really concerned about it is just have different banks. If you have, you know, if you're approaching that $250,000 limit, just spread it around. I have a number of clients, folks I've talked to who do have significant assets in banks and that's in businesses and such. And that's what they've done. Uh, They're doing that or have done that. They're spreading it out into multiple banks to keep less than $250,000 total in any, any one bank. And that's just smart. That way, you FDIC will have you covered. Okay, if one of them goes down, the bigger banks—I'm sorry, bigger businesses and stuff—who deal with a lot more money than that, they frankly should just probably be working with one of the big banks, which are less likely to go down because they're too big to fail, quote unquote. The government will probably step in and 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 bail them out like they've done before. But if you want to know if your bank is safe, the best place you can go really is the Uniform Bank Performance Report. It's the UB. Uh, UBPR, and the place to go to to fi- find that, I'll give it to you right now. It's ffiec.gov slash Uniform Bank Performance Report. Again, that's ffiec.gov, Uniform Bank Performance Report. That is the website. It's free. This is the ba- this is the bank report that regulators use to determine the strength of banks. Its uh, report is done quarterly, and it will it will it will give you all the information you need to know. The same information bank regulators are using, and FDIC is using to monitor the health of financial health of banks. And this website, like I said, <clears throat> you can go to it. There's instructions that'll tell you where to go, uh, the link to go to the actual performance report, and then how to pull up that report. It's pretty easy to do. It's free. The report's very involved and detailed. I'll tell you that straight up. You probably, unless you're familiar with spreadsheets and financial reports, you might want to have somebody look at it um, to give you an interpretation. If you want to pull up or want to look at information on one of the banks, I, of course, have experience with that, being on a, having formerly been on a bank board. 
Uh, I can help you decipher uh, whether you're the bank you're looking at or working with is safe or not or strong. Let's put it that way. Um, you can send that to yourpersonalbank.com. I'll be happy to help anybody out with that. <coughs> but again, the place to go to get the report is it's a free report. It's the government regular uh, bank regular report. Last time I want to share it. FFIEC.gov backslash uniform bank performance report. You can also go to yourpersonalbank.com. My website will post it there so you can go to that link and check it out. That's probably the best, like I said, that is the best place to go to determine whether your bank is financially strong or not. But like I said, if you have less than $250,000, you have little to be, little concern. FDIC insured, you, you're, you're going to be fine, okay? Um, just understand, I guess, the bigger thing. And like I said, the bigger picture is, as I was sharing in a previous segment, supporting the the re, everybody moving their money to the large, too big to fail banks would be very, very detrimental to our economy and to our freedoms. Because we all know, if you haven't been paying attention, ESG has kind of taken over a lot of the big corporations, including the big banks. Okay, the environmental, social, and governance initiatives, which is, are very controversial at best. Um, and detrimental to most people's freedoms and what what were, instead of being fiduciary responsibilities of investments, they're focusing on other things that are more political. And then, frankly, the financial institutions, businesses, banks should not be dealing with that. And your big banks, of course, are. Your local and regional banks, most for the most part, are not. They're more uh, probably in tune to your beliefs. They're your neighbors. You had business people. You know, they probably have a lot more in common with you than they, than they than a big bank does. And big banks are really geared towards dealing with big, large customers and businesses and stuff. Most individuals have no business banking with a large bank because they're just a, nub, a number. You're not going to get any service. <clears throat> in fact, you deal with a smaller regional bank, you'll be shocked many times at the level of service you'll receive. It'll be like the old days where they actually know your name. It's amazing. I walk into my local bank, and they say, Hi, Ference, Mr. Toth, how are you doing? It's awesome. You know what I mean? Um, it's nice. And and you get service. And, again, if it's FDIC insured, you're good to go. So I'm going to strongly encourage people to stay with, or if you haven't, move to a local regional bank and support them. Support, Make sure it's one that you ha- you know agree with and have the same beliefs, that kind of thing. But we really need to continue to encourage that because if we don't and everybody ends up moving to the large banks, we're going to have three, four, five bank options eventually, and that's it. Just like today, how many options do you have to say on a smartphone? There's a handful of options, but that's it. I'm going to encourage you to stay tuned in the last segment. I'm going to share a few other things I think you're going to find very important, including <laughs> Biden's latest uh, fee that he's added to mortgages. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Stay tuned for more Common Sense from Ferens. For more information, contact Ferens at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show with Ferens Toth. Want more information? Contact Ferens at 866 866- 268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866-268-4422. Now back to the show with Ference Toth. Welcome back to the Your Personal Bank Show. So the thing is, we have a situation here where the, a lot of people are asking the question, you know, is the money in my bank safe? That type of thing. And like I was sharing in the last segment, I just really, really encourage you to check out uh Go back to yourpersonalbank.com. You can listen to this or any of the previously recorded shows. I shared with you uh, what you should be concerned with, the website you should go to. There, we'll have the link to that to get the Uniform Bank Report, uh, if you Uniform Bank Performance Report, if you want to do that so that you can f- determine whether, uh, how should I say, whether the uh, your bank is you know financially solid or one of them that might be in trouble. Are we going to have more banking failures going forward? Highly likely. I mean, that's just just the reality of the situation. So, um, you know, check it out. I really encourage you to do so. If you have any questions, contact me, yourpersonalbank.com. 
this latest thing that's come out, uh, <laughs> you're going to love this. Not really. Uh, it's ridiculous. So it's a more it's a redistri- mortgage redistribution plan. If you haven't heard about this, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> Basically, and this has actually already gone into effect. And this is another one of those situations where we have a out-of-control government with too much power, too many unelected bureaucrats, uh, imposing things that they just have no business to, they should not be doing. I mean, it's just really that simple, okay? And what it is, is they're, they're, they're putting, adding fees for people with better credit. So if you have a 680 credit score or higher, they're going to, on the mortgage, this is happening now, cash out refis, whatever, you name it, you're going to have to pay a fee on average, on a four hundred thousand dollar mortgage, for example, the average fee is going to be extra forty dollars a month, which will be added on to your monthly payment <coughs> over thirty years. Forty dollars a month that can add up to a lot of money. I mean, we're talking, well, five hundred bucks a year times thirty years, right? <clears throat> That's fifteen thousand dollars extra. You're going to get to pay just because. Here's the, here's the kicker: because you have a higher credit rating. You have a 680 credit rating. And where is that extra money going to go? Well, guess what? It's going to go actually not to lower credit score folks. It's going to go for their benefit. It's actually going to go to the banks to help offset the risk for banks to do loans for people with lower credit scores. Now, think about that a minute. You're going to be get you get to be punished because you happen to have a higher credit score than somebody else. And you get to pay an extra ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars over the lifetime of your loan because you have a better, higher credit score. Now, first, now think about this a minute. What does it take to get a higher credit score? It means you have to be financially responsible, right? You pay your bills on time, stuff like that. You do you do things the right you, the, what you should be doing. You're doing the right thing. <clears throat> what does it take? To have a lower credit score. Not do those things. In other words, you just don't pay your bills on time. Your income isn't high enough or whatever. In other words, people that are doing the right thing, practicing financial responsibility, are going to get punished to benefit people who do not practice financial responsibility. And the And the people who get the money are not the people who are with the lower credit scores, it's the banks. Now, this is beyond ridiculous. This is crazy. This is punishing good behavior and rewarding bad behavior. Let's think about this a little further. What this does is it encourages, well, nobody wants to say the word, but it encourages subprime lending, doesn't it? It encourages offering loans to people who are riskier borrowers who maybe couldn't quite afford it or maybe shouldn't purchase that home because of their bad financial responsibility. Anybody remember 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, the financial crisis? What caused? What was the cause of all that? Bad lending practices, subprime lending, pushing loans onto people that couldn't afford it or probably shouldn't have had a loan because their credit score was low. Our government is pushing a policy that goes right back directly to what caused the last financial crisis. Folks, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. And by the way, here's a, let me give you another one. I haven't heard anybody talk about this one. For those who are purchasing a mortgage, purchasing a, pro- a property with a mortgage, or doing a cash-out refi or whatever, they happen to have the 680 credit score, so they get to pay the extra fee. Um, couldn't you call that a tax? The answer is, of course you could. It's being imposed by the government. That's called a tax. Now, who who is authorized in our government to tax the tax us? Let's go back to the constitution. Anybody follow the read the constitution? Who can who can tax the American people? Who has the authority to enact taxation? The president? No. The executive branch? No. The judiciary? No. Congress. Congress is the only entity that has the legal authority 
to tax the American people. Now, who imposed this extra fee? Or you could call it a tax, right? Fee, tax, whatever. What the who? I think it's the Housing Authority, which is part of the executive branch, which is, you know, it's under the executive branch under part of the Biden administration. In other words, they have the the bureaucratic federal agency makes made changes without any election, without any debate, without any authority, frankly. It's the Federal Housing Finance Agency that did this. Now, what I would like to see, this needs to be fought in court, and I, I, I'd be shocked if it isn't. Somebody needs to go to court and get this thrown out because it's unconstitutional. The Federal Housing Agency uh, does not have the authority to impose a fee or tax on the American people. The Congress, only Congress does. So it's unconstitutional by, by definition. If that doesn't happen, I'd like to see people. I mean, this would, wouldn't this be great if people would say, well, you're charging, I'm getting charged an extra $500 a year or whatever, $1,000 a year, depends on the size of your mortgage or cash out refi. Uh, and you're just, and this is, uh, anybody heard of something called taxation without representation? I think we fought a revolution, we fought a king over that. Remember the Boston Tea Party? Stuff like that, right? You know, the, there needs to be a pushback. And, and it is happening, to be fair. The mortgage industry and, and such are, are, are pushing back on this. But the fact that we even have to fight this is ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. But, you know, this, this current administration doesn't care about that. And on that note, too, by the way, this is very ominous. Do you know that in the last three years, the IRS has spent over $10 million on weapons, ammo, and tactical gear? Now, think about that a minute. What does the IRS need with four, they already had apparently 4,000 firearms? Everything from pump-action shotguns to semi-automatic rifles to submachine guns. What do they need with all that stuff? And even the IRS applicants, when um, when they're applying to work for them, they must, it states on the IRS website, they must be willing to carry a firearm must be prepared to protect themselves or others from physical attacks at any time and without warning and use firearms in life-threatening situations and must be willing to use force up to and including the use of deadly force. (coughs) Is that ominous or what? You know, (coughs) excuse me, I don't know about you. I don't like the idea of a a weaponized IRS, but that's exactly what we're seeing. I'm going to finish up on, on a little bit of good news. I know all this stuff is frustrating. <clears throat> I get it. But at the same time, there are seeds, there are green shoots, like in, like, like in, uh, you know, in spring. You, know, you have winter and then spring comes and you start seeing some flowers pop through the snow or whatever. You know, there's green shoots coming, coming here and there, and there are people stepping up and fighting back. <clears throat> this is one of them that's interesting. I discussed this um, earlier in this, uh, in this show about... ESG, and that's Environmental, Social, and Governance Initiatives. A lot of people are not really that familiar about what it is, but the reality, what it, what it boils down to is, and the Biden administration has authorized, you know, IRA and 401k administrators to follow environmental, social, and governance initiatives when making decisions instead of focusing on their fiduciary responsibility of maximizing returns. It goes completely, you know, we had, it's interesting, I'm in the financial industry, and over the past decade or so, there was a huge fight. It was started by Obama and this huge battle about uh, fiduciary responsibilities and what advisors and institutions had, what type of fiduciary responsibility they had in, you know, with people's investments. And now they're going a whole different direction, say, well, you can use environmental, social, and governance initiatives to dis- make financial decisions, investment decisions. Obviously, that means your returns aren't going to be as good, are they? And that's what's happening. That is exactly what's happening. Those that are on top of this are, are letting their advisors know, hey, I don't want to have anything to do with this. But the choices are getting fewer and fewer because more and more of these like BlackRock and these and Fidelity and all these big, big investment firms 
are following these these ESG guidelines. Well, here's a step in the right direction. Oh, the state of Oklahoma has now banned more than a dozen woke banks from doing business because of ESG inv- uh, initiatives. Folks, this is a step in the right direction. The state is banned doing business with BlackRock, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Chase, Bank of America, State Sheet, and State Street, among others. Folks, this is important. And if other states follow the lead of Oklahoma, that will get their attention. You get them in the pocketbook, folks. That's where you make the difference. Encourage your representatives to follow Oklahoma's lead. Stay tuned next week. Contact me if you want more information on how to navigate all this stuff. If you want information on how to make sure your bank is safe, your money's safe in the bank, what to do, how to maximize returns, minimize borrowing, uh, borrowing costs, especially with high interest rate environment. Reduce market risk, all of those kinds of things, reduce taxes. Contact me at yourpersonalbank.com. And of course, stay tuned next week. Listen Tuesdays at noon and Saturdays at 1 to the Your Personal Bank Show for more information. Contact Ferrance at 866 268 4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. That's 866 268 4422. This show is designed to provide accurate, and authoritative information. The presenter and guests of this program do not engage in legal, accounting, or tax advice. Professional advice regarding your situation should be sought if required. Some products discussed may have limitations and not be available in all states. Excessive unpaid loans may affect performance. Distributions may become taxable if not managed properly. Replacements may not be suitable for everyone. There may be charges when replacing coverage. Dividend rates and bank line of credit rates may change. For current rates, contact Ferrance at 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Again, that's 866-268-4422 or yourpersonalbank.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the U.S. Use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.